0: With ease, Miguel Aziz, first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town colours. We are getting near the end of the season. And some of our boys on loan are in some absolute dogfights. Promotion battles... Relegation battles, battles for European spots, battles for playing time on the pitch. We've got quite a roundup today. Charlie Patino playing some key minutes, and Brooke Norton-Cuffey also playing some key minutes on opposite ends of the table in the championship. Omar Rekik really finding his groove. Marquinhos and Norwich having a tough week. Mika Biarith, Mazita, Gungbo, Nikolai, Moeller all struggling to find themselves on the pitch. But our goalies over in Eastern Europe and Northern Europe, Arthur Oconco and Ovi Ejahiri, continue to be a very bright light in the Arsenal Academy. And the goalkeeper position is one where we have a real plethora of options, from Carl Hine to the two names I mentioned, Tom Smith, getting his place back and exceeding expectations for Colchester United, and obviously the likes of Hubert Gracic and others still with the Academy performing excellently. But off the top, let's start with Charlie Patino, who, as we've spoken about quite a bit, has been in and out of the lineup. Multiple different managers, multiple different positions. He didn't start in the 1-0 win over Wigan. He played the final 12 minutes, 6 of 9 passing, 1 successful dribble on his only attempt, and 1 of 2 ground duels won. He did a really excellent job in this match, just fighting for possession as Blackpool were trying to see out what is a huge 3 points in their chances to stay up in the championship. I mean, Vettino's strengths we've spoken about to endless amounts. He has shown he's a physical player. He has shown he knows how to use his body, and he did just that. In this match, he did well a few times to get the ball into deeper areas and and retain possession, use his body to shield. He does not give away possession cheaply ever, and that's a real asset uh, from a midfielder who likes to get forward, especially when you're trying to protect a lead. He did get back into the starting lineup and back to his best, in the 2-0 loss to West Brom. Uh, This was an interesting match for Blackpool. They actually really dominated early on. first 15 minutes, they should have scored at least one, if not two. Some great opportunities. Gave up a cheap goal to West Brom. Then got themselves back in the match, and again, were dominant. Looked like they were going to score an equalizer, maybe go on to win. The fans were behind them, and they gave another cheap goal away to West Brom. Ended up losing this match 2-0. But Charlie Patino was all over the pitch. He was dominating that left-hand side, and... Everything really ran through him. 56 of 68 passing, two key passes, two successful dribbles on three attempts, six long balls out of 10 were accurate. He won two of four tackles and 10 of 16 duels. His impression on this match was obvious. You could just tell without even having to look that there was one player in particular from Blackpool's side that was getting on the ball, was trying to make things happen, was controlling possession in a way Blackpool have struggled to control pretty much the entirety of the season other than a few spurts here and there. One spurt in particular in the beginning of the year with Appleton. They had a few matches in a row where they were dominant in possession and scored a lot of goals. Uh, but you know, Blackpool just couldn't score their easy chances. But this match in particular really showed why Charlie Bettino is such a natural fit for us at left-center mid. He's got all the tools of Jaka. He's got the physicality. He can carry... Easy, much better than Jaco can. I would say he has the ability to be more deadly in the half spaces with his crossing uh, and also is willing to do a job out wide and receive the ball out wide and have good interplay from there. I think one of Jaco's struggles when he gets the ball out wide is he's often looking to re- make sure to retain possession and then he plays backwards. I've seen Charlie a few times make some interesting plays, switch the ball. Uh, make an an excellent cross into the box, whatever it might be from that side, that I think would add another dynamic to our team. And speaking of just this performance and in general all the performances, I think it's funny how the fans of Blackpool or Coventry or Wigan or any of these teams that Arsenal have sent players on loan are expecting something so different from a Charlie Patino or a Brooke Norton Cuffey than as a bystander who is more interested in specific performances rather than how the overall team does. Yes, I find myself rooting for these teams because our players are are representing them, but, you know, Coventry fans are incredibly frustrated with Brooke norton Cuffy. Blackpool fans, and, and I had West Brom fans in my comments saying they didn't notice Charlie Patino on the pitch. I guess that's because that's what I'm watching the match for, but... Every player has a role, right? And they're just trying to play their role to the utmost that they can. They're not trying if you're Charlie Patino, you're not trying to go out and win the match, scoring goals, and providing assists. His role is to dominate the left hand side in possession, not have a passing accuracy of above 85%, and play some passes in between the lines, break the lines, carry, dribble past a few players, make his defensive contributions, and he does just that. That is his dominating his role. That is exactly the definition of that. I mean, he's not going to be out there looking like Kevin De Bruyne and he's made four unbelievable in-swinging crosses. That, that's not the kind of play Blackpool are playing. That's not how they dominate the game. What Charlie Bettino did was do well pressing high up the pitch and helping Blackpool win the ball back to create chances. He was calm in possession and dictated the tempo when needed to. And if Blackpool won this match 3-0, as they really should have, that's what people would have recognized. And I think it's a similar thing with Brooke Norton Cuffey, who I think I mentioned this last week. I can't remember. While I was talking about it with somebody, which is you don't have Brooke Norton Cuffey on the pitch to do what Charlie Bettino does. You don't have him on the pitch to receive the ball and control tempo and pass backwards and sideways sideways and make sure that Coventry keep possession. You have Brooke Norton Cuffey on the pitch to make things happen. To try and blow by defenders, to try and make the defense feel threatened and have to focus more attention on him than potentially a Gustavo Hammer or a Ben Sheaf or Victor Gyokeres or whoever it is who's playing in the middle of the park. And I think Brooke Norton Cuffey does that role exceedingly well, which is all you can ask for him, right? Like, I'm trying to think of a example for someone on Arsenal that currently you know, kind of plays a role like that. Like, if you think about Zinchenko defenders and midfielders are, midfielders more so than defenders, are often worried about where Zinchenko is popping up next to Partey. They have to focus their energy there. It drags one more player out. That allows for Zinchenko to find between-the-lines passes to the likes of Jesus, to Xhaka. Find Martinelli out wide. You know, take on a player and and dribble all the way to the right-hand side and and change the dynamics there. Yeah, Zinchenko's going to lose the ball here and there, but That's because of how many opportunities he has on the ball and what he's being asked to do. Obviously, Brooke and Cuffey in no way is a similar player as Anchenko They play completely opposite roles. That's not what I'm saying. It's just, there has to be an understanding of role when you're profiling a player. And I think that that gets lost amongst the fans of these teams when they see Arsenal fans talking about their performances in particular. Back to the specific performances. Brooke Norton Cuffey played twice over the last week for Coventry. uh, 76 minutes in a 3-0 win over QPR. 20 of 26 passing. 1 of 1 on long balls. 1 out of 3 tackles won. And 4 of 10 duels won. I actually thought he was a little sluggish in this match in particular. He wasn't the first to lose balls. He was kind of slipping on the turf a few times. Uh, Just didn't seem to be at his top level. Although, you know, I think he did well. In possession, oftentimes taking what was given to him and not overstretching or trying to do too much, uh, which helped Coventry in a game that they were fairly dominant in. Uh, Brook then played 82 minutes in a 1-1 draw with Blackburn, which was just a huge match in the promotion race because Blackburn is the side they're chasing. Uh, not related to Brook, but Blackburn equal—I mean, Coventry equalized in the final minute with their goalie scoring off a corner kick on what may have been partially a handball, but nonetheless. Very exciting to watch. Uh, Huge for Coventry to get a point there. If they didn't, I think it would be hard for them to find promotion in the long term, but they're very much in there. Uh, Brooke was 14 of 20 passing, 5 of 8 successful dribbles, 1 successful long ball on his only attempt, 1 of 2 tackles won, and 9 of 15 duels won. He was much more aggressive in this match. He did really well to use the space that was afforded him down the wing. I think certain matches for Coventry, teams have really keyed on Brooke. They've made sure that they are either matching up with the five at the back or their left back or left winger has been kind of tasked with this role of focusing more on their defensive side of the game and less so on attacking Brook's space down the wing. Um, and in this match, they afforded Brook the space to kind of go at players one-on-one and, and try and beat someone to the byline. Uh, he got forward really excellently in that in that regard. He has also figured out a better understanding of off-the-ball space. I think last year I spoke a lot about why I think he's such a dominant player and his understanding of space and, and and how he uses it to his advantage on the ball. But he's learned to make overlapping runs even if he knows the ball's not coming him to him because it drags a midfielder along with him to allow his own players more space in the middle. It drags a defender on so that when a player is trying to get across and he's got two guys in front of him, one player has to go with... Brooklyn Ward Cuffey on the overlap, allowing for the attacker to cut in and make a cross, cut out and make a cross, whatever it might be. Uh, And that is a key proponent of being an overlapping fullback, is understanding that even if you're not receiving the ball, that you're going to make the effort to make the run and that you're okay with not receiving that ball as a part of the role of your team. And I think Ben White learned that this year, right? The beginning of the year, I felt, I think a lot of fans felt his lack of overlapping was preventing Sokka from having the space he needed to have. He was getting stuck in one-on-twos, one-on-threes. And when Ben White started overlapping, Sokka was able to get in more 1v1 situations, which which makes us such a much more difficult team to to face. And Brook is learning that as well. Uh, These last four matches for Coventry are going to be an absolute dogfight for promotion. I really hope they go up. Gustavo Hamer will be in the Premier League next year no matter what. I will guarantee that. And I feel the same way about Victor Geogariz. The two of them are just... Dominant in the championship right now. On to our next player. And you know, it's funny. I never know right off the rip if I should start with Flo Balaboon or not because he obviously gets the most publicity of our players on loan and for good reason. He's having an incredible season. He's making his own publicity with all the U.S. men's national team stuff and obviously talking about whether he's going to stay, whether he's going to go. That seems to be the biggest touch point. So I feel like if I was war worried about people sticking around or whatever it might be, he would be the one to start with. But I don't know. I find talking about him is way less exciting for me. Um, just because everyone's talking about him. And I, I like to... <laughs> obviously, this podcast is a little niche. And so I like to stick with the niche vibe. But Flo Balogun played 90 minutes in a 3-0 loss to Rennes. Which was a huge match in that fight for the last European place in League 1. Um, they definitely needed a better result than 3-0. Nine out of nine passing for Flo. Two key passes. One successful dribble on his only attempt. Three or four ground duels one and one shot off target. Uh, Reims actually had plenty of possession in this match, but they really struggled to create. They were pinned back, kind of playing through the midfield, playing down the wings, unable to find Flo in space. I think Renz did a really nice job of, you know, bringing one or two defenders who were keeping their eye on Flo the entire match. Uh, it actually allowed for Munetzi to have a lot of good opportunities to score. And he probably should have scored one early on uh, that would have changed the dynamics of this match. Flo had just the really just had the one opportunity to score uh, off a corner kick. He kind of peeled off the back post. The ball fell to him, I would say, just from the penalty spot, but in the left-hand uh, half space. He tried to curl one to the top corner, and uh, it was just a few feet wide. It was a good attempt. But Flo didn't get on the ball as much as you usually see him do so. Uh, and I really think it speaks more to the way Ren set up and their you know, tactical ability to kind of have a mix of their deepest midfielder and a center back, keeping their eye on Flo at all times, even when he was popping up in those spaces he likes to operate in uh, to receive the ball in build-up, uh, and as well making those runs in the channel. So not Flo's best match, but, you know, he he wasn't wasteful in possession. He helped to create when he, he wasn't scoring, and, and he really nearly did score uh, on what was a beautiful attempt. Speaking of players who are absolutely not wasteful in possession, Omar Rekik. I'm just, the more I'm watching how comfortable he has become in the championship over the last six weeks, the more frustrating it is that the Sparta Rotterdam loan didn't work out because it was a waste of six months of his progression when he has really grown into his body physically, similarly to Charlie Patino. Again, he's not going to get the coverage of Charlie Patino in terms of how much people talk about him. But Omar Rekik was kind of a skinny little center back a couple of years ago who was really technically secure, but. You know, his ability to actually prevent strikers from bullying him and from getting in behind. He just didn't have his wherewithal. He was kind of fighting injuries. Like I think a lot of it was growing pains. And he has grown into his body. He has grown mentally, and he's matured quite a bit defensively. And now when you pair that along with his innate ability to find attackers in space over the top and his ability to draw midfielders onto him and then play a progressive pass or between-the-lines pass, and his ability to play kind of anywhere as a center back in a back four or a back three, he's really a kind of a special talent. Uh, he played 68 minutes in the 1-0 loss to Blackpool, 41 of 47 passing, two out of three long balls, and both of his duels were one, one aerial, one ground. He really, again, other than that Burnley match where I think I don't know, he was a little bit out of whack from the, from the start, and that happens. I mean, who knows what's going on in these people's lives, right? We all make mistakes, and he clearly was not up for it that day against Burnley. He made two terrible slide tackles, and he got two yellows. He, since then, has kept play in front of him so nicely without diving in for tackles. He doesn't feel the need to do that. He knows he has the pace and the strength to stay with any attacker coming at him, and he just keeps the play in front of him. He knows that he's learned how to know when to play a ball out of play versus trying to control everything i think he very much used to be the type of player who if he was making a tackle or he was a you know kind of an unlucky ball was coming towards him or one that was hard to control he would try to control it and then make a play like he's learned how to play out from the back but also how to do it without giving up free opportunities He, he he doesn't have those lapses in concentration that he used to have uh I mean, a couple of things I already mentioned, but just specifically in this match. He really does so well dribbling towards a midfielder, especially when you're playing in a back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, when you have those three center backs, right? Those center backs who are on the outer side, the non-central one, they need to dribble into midfield a little bit to attract midfielders towards them. That opens up the passing lanes for the center back. Think about David Luiz. He was so, so good at that from that left center back position for Chelsea for so long. He did it well for us as well in our run to the FA Cup, where he'll just dribble and dribble kind of slowly until a midfielder takes one step towards him, and then the passing lanes open up. Then he can either spray a ball out to the right wing. He can take one more step in and play that ball down the line to his winger. He can find his straight midfielder in midfield in a little bit more space where they can turn and operate. And Omar Rekik has really done an excellent job of that at Wigan. and I mean, their results... And the way that they're playing, they're not getting dominated anymore. I think Omar Requeque is such a key part of that. And I wonder what this team would have looked like with him if they had him for the full season. The crazy part is, I thought Requeque was even better against Stoke, who's a much better side, in the 1-0 win for Wigan. 32 of 36 passing, 5 of 8 on long balls, 3 out of 4 duels won. He just has really learned how to play with such control and ease... And, and, and I know I keep saying confidence, but to play as a center back the way he does in a side that is, I mean, they've been terrible all season. It's, it really speaks to his technical ability and his skill and, and his uh, awareness of how good he is on the ball. And I don't know. I, I keep going back and forth on this one on, on whether or not realistically there's a future for him at the club. I, I do think he'll be a successful center back in the senior game at some level in a top-flight league. I'm just not sure if that will be at Arsenal. I think next year we'll see him go on loan again. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if that's on loan to the Bundesliga or to... I mean, even League One has been a great league for young center-backs. I I don't know. I'm very interested to see what Arsenal sees for him this summer and in the future because the way he's playing is, is the player... I mean, remember, this is a player Arteta brought in on his own. He brought him in from Hertha Berlin and there was some kind of like, who is this What and what is this guy? And I don't know. It's interesting. It's exciting. I really am excited by the way he's performed for Wigan over the last six weeks. It's funny, I actually keep forgetting how many players we have in the championship because it feels like for a decade, we've been not really utilizing the loan system to great effect. We've been scrambling and oftentimes sending players to leagues a little bit lower than their ability. And Marquinhos is just another good example of a loan move that was smart, savvy. They handled his arrival and then sending him out brilliantly, not just bringing him into, you know, North London and then being like, oh, go live in Norwich where you know nobody for a year, but actually adapting him to England and then sending him out on loan. Marquinhos, I mean, the first match for Norwich this past week was just brutal. Uh, 5-1 thrashing against Middleborough. They got absolutely stomped on. Nobody played well from Norwich's side. Uh, Marquinhos played 57 minutes, 14 of 16 passing, 1 of 1 successful dribbles. I don't even think this match is worth talking about. Nobody showed up mentally for this match on Norwich's side, and that's just that. Sometimes that happens in sports. He did play the first 45 minutes in a 1-1 draw with QPR, 21 of 22 passing, 2 successful dribbles on 3 attempts, 2 out of 2 long balls, 4 out of 7 duels won. His ball retention is especially good. Like, in this match, I was incredibly, incredibly impressed. The amount of times he received the ball with multiple players around him on his back, shielding, you see 21 of 22 passing, not giving the ball away cheaply, receiving it in dangerous areas in terms of if he loses possession there, Norwich are in a bad place to concede. Earning the trust of his teammates after not that long of a period of time and doing excellently with it. He doesn't really have the confidence right now to take players on. He's not really being put in positions where he is in 1v1s, where he's able to exploit a player down the wing, use the sideline to win his advantage, kind of get to the byline and put a cross in. He did that once during this match, and I thought he did it pretty well. His work rate is excellent. He he really shows his defensive contributions. He helps in the buildup, and I'm excited to see... I really think next season he will go on loan to a Premier League side for the year. I think that is probably the best case scenario. A side where he can play 30 matches, start 30 matches in the Premier League, 25 matches, try and show what he can do kind of in transition a little bit more, use that deadly left foot of his, both offset pieces, uh, you know, as crosses. And, and, and I don't know. He's Anthony like to me. I think they actually have a lot of similarities in this in their game, except Marquinhos is not a showboating idiot like Anthony is. Moving on, we have Mika Bireth, who just not getting a lot of game time. He played the final 11 minutes, though, in a 2 1 win over Groningen. If if you remember, he scored twice against in their previous tie. But three of six passing, one of one ground duels, and one of one aerial duels won. And he made the pass, leading to the winning penalty in the 84th minute. Received the ball just outside the box, played a through ball to his winger, making a run into the box weighted it perfectly, the keeper got drawn out, couldn't get to the ball, took out of the player, won the penalty, and Walwick well, converted it. So, you know, Mika Bireth making contributions even when he's not scoring or assisting. Uh, he then played the final eight minutes in a 3-2 loss to go-ahead Eagles, which, in which they really didn't have possession once while he was in the match. Uh, although they did concede in the 96th minute off of a corner kick. Not Mika's fault, but unfortunate. Mazid Agungbo played the final 11 minutes against Tranmere Rovers in a 2-1 win, and then did not feature against Colchester United. The starting left-back, Nicholas Sarula, is back and fit, so I would assume Mazid's not going to get many starts the rest of the season. You know, I don't think he'll be on the books at Arsenal next year in any capacity. That would be my guess. I think... I, I mean, I could see him going to play in the Scottish Championship or Premiership and, and trying to make a career there, or, you know, to a, a League 2 side and... and Finding a role that fits best for him. I think that is kind of a left-wing back in a back-five situation, Uh, but we shall see what's to come for him. Nikolai Moeller played the final 13 minutes in a 2-1 loss to Helmond, 1-5 of passing, 1-2 of aerial duels won. Uh, He's just not getting the run out either. A few of these players, man, just getting a little bit unlucky uh, on some really poor sides with some poor management. Tim Akinola finally reinstated into the squad, played the final 23 minutes. In a 5-1 win over Torquay. I know I didn't pronounce that right, so feel free to correct me on Twitter on that one. Taylor Foron for Hartlepool United. Played the final 63 minutes in a 2-0 loss to Newport County. 17 of 32 passing. Won both of his tackles. Four clearances an interception. Two recoveries. Both ground duels won and five out of six aerial duels won. Continues to be a dual demon. Continues to keep everything in front of him. Not getting dribbled by but Hartley Poole just cannot control any possession, and, and they will concede. They're, you know, Foran is really more of a leader at the back, and that's kind of the thing I'm a little bit most surprised by. I mean, I'm not surprised by it. He's a young player coming into a side halfway through the year. He's not going to be necessarily the captain of the defense, but that is something, that's an intangible of his that has shown so brightly at Arsenal, and you've noticed since he's left the U21s have given up quite a few more goals. He really organized that back line, and I'd like to see him be a little more vocal for Hartley Poole, and Less in the shadows, but it is what it is when you're a young player joining a team halfway through the year. Uh, Foron then played 76 minutes in the 2-0 loss to Salford City, 19 of 24 passing, 2 of 3 on long balls, 4 clearances, 2 recoveries, 1 interception, and 2 out of 4 aerial duels won. Another unfortunate match for Hartlepool. They are in big trouble. Uh, It looks like they will face relegation unless something crazy happens. Uh, But, you know... Good experience for Foran. He is absolutely battling. I mean, it's every two minutes another attacking chance is coming at that back line. So I guess in that regard, it is a good loan experience for Taylor. Our final outfield players who featured over the past week, Keto Taylor-Hart and Billy Vigar, both played in the Derbyshire Senior Cup Final against Buxton. If you recall, Keto Taylor-Hart scored a hat-trick and scored a penalty in the shootout to get Derby County into this final He then scored in the 30th minute to put Derby up 1-0 and in position to win the trophy, but Derby gave up goals in the 89th and 90th minutes to lose the final to Buxton, Uh, and it's a little unfortunate. Although Kido scored a very nice goal, cut in on his left from that right-hand side, slotted a a hard low shot into the bottom corner on the near post, Uh, and, you know, good confidence for Kido. I expect him and Billy both to leave permanently in the summer. Our goalies, as I mentioned, have just been fabulous. All three of them keeping clean sheets this week. Arthur Okonkwo kept a clean sheet against uh, another team in the Austrian Bundesliga in a 2-0 win. One save for him, 13 of 20 passing, and one high claim. Ovi Jahiri kept a clean sheet in a 0-0 draw with Honka. Faced eight shots on target. Made a stellar last-minute save after a good chance came from a corner kick to keep that clean sheet and earn the point for SJK Senajoki Ovie is one of the has one of the best reaction times I've ever seen of a goalkeeper of any age. It's incredible. The saves that he make are not like the ones that you're used to seeing, maybe David De Gea make, where he's lunging at a free kick and he has super long arms. And he Jahiri positions himself excellently on crosses, especially off of crosses, where he can get himself in a position where all he has to do is get his hand up or get to the ground and make a save. And he reacts and reads and anticipates the ball beautifully. He is a he is going to be an excellent goalkeeper for somebody. I, I can promise you that. This is a skill that you cannot teach. And then Tom Smith comes into the Colchester side. He has now kept clean sheets in every match he's played for them, and he's keeping all the other goalies out of the side. And it's been awesome to, to watch for him. I'm very excited for him after what was a bit of a turbulent spell at Bromley that ended abruptly, and then obviously not getting the chance to play until two weeks ago for Colchester. But keeping his head and earning his place. Marcelo Flores on the bench for Real Oviedo in their 2-1 win over Lugo did not feature. Ryan Albiosu didn't feature in a 4-1 loss to Celtic for Kilmarnock. Nathan butler Oyadehi did not feature against Fleetwood Town or Peterborough United for Accrington Stanley. Alex Kirk, as we've mentioned, his season is over. He's back at Colney. Tyrese John-Jules out for the season as well, and Miguel Aziz continues to not play in any fashion for Wigan Not even sure his whereabouts at the moment, but an unfortunate situation. And that's the roundup. Those are the players. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Away From Hell, and I think I'm going to have some new things cooking soon. I'm working on some stuff, but thank you all for sticking with me, and we'll be back next week.